welcome to another episode of The Drift, the podcast where four academics of color sit around and discuss great books or a movie. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one text that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, politics, all the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or in each other homes or when we're each still in our own homes because we are still trying to keep ourselves, our loved ones, and even people we don't like safe and healthy. And we truly, truly hope that you all are doing the same. The virus is raging on and it continues to have a disproportionately devastating impact on Black, Indigenous, and Latinx families, so communities. So if you're looking to decolonize your Thanksgiving traditions, please stay home. And if all of those European colonists had actually done that like 500 years ago, we all would, of course, be better off. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach for the department, teach in the Department of Education Studies at Carleton College. Adriana. I'm Adriana Estel. I teach English and American Studies at Carleton College, and I approve Anita's message. Crystal. Hi, everyone. I'm Crystal Moten. I'm a curator at a museum in Washington, D.C., working from my home. Yay, Todd. I'm Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and culture, folklore, and cultural studies at the University of St. Thomas. And I guess, like, we have not left our houses for seven months. We've been in our houses the whole time. Mm-hmm. Nine months. Like, nine months. I think it's nine like months. Longer. I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> Not even to <Yes>. the store. <laughs> Dad just gets magically gets food from home. I somehow. was a prepper before this and it's <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Uh, Before I tell you what we're talking about today, just want to take a moment to say very happy birthday to Todd. Yay, Todd. Happy birthday. You guys. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. I'm 48. He's going to be his 50-year-old version soon. That's right. 50-year-old version. Still alive. (laughs) Hey, that's good too. Today, we're going to be talking about the movie, The 40-Year-Old Version, written, directed, and produced by Radha Blank, who also stars in it. Radha Blank is a New York-based filmmaker and artist who won the U.S. Dramatic Competition Directing Award at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival for this film, which is her debut film, which is loosely based on her own experience as a playwright. Blank is also going to be honored with Sundance Institute's 2020 Vanguard Award, given annually to an artist whose work highlights the art of storytelling and creative independence. So we're like super excited to talk about this. And before we dig in, just a spoiler alert, a reminder that when we talk about our books or our movies, we will talk about everything. As you know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual, universal, all-encompassing spoiler alert. So in other words, we're all about the spoilers and not about the summaries. No summary. No, no summary. summary. Um, so I wanted to start off kind of the same way that I think started off talking about Poet X in terms of just the appeal of Radha Blank, right? It's like she's like the movie is just so appealing because of her, right? So she's just like this funny, she's imperfect. She's like has like the best side eye looks, right? <laughs> I just feel like, I just don't know, you know, I kind of like want to be her friend. It's like wanted to know kind of what you all, um, I guess just found appealing about the movie. Like that was like my favorite thing about the movie was just like her. I totally agree. I mean, I, I think um, she's like, she seems super, well, she was, she's super funny. Um, she's like a little bit sarcastic and acerbic, you know, and I love those moments where she kind of like looks directly at you, you know, like uh, through the fourth wall, you know, and you're like, yeah, I know, you know, so you, <laughs> you feel connected to her. And 
for me as well like she's um you know a little bit younger than me i guess or um i don't know how I actually oh, huh? about eight years i guess yeah well i mean is she really i don't know how old she really is right. taking her five years to make this movie <laughs> but she's 40 ish my point is that like the the sort of um the cultural touch touchstones of the movie are kind of from mm-hmm. i feel like they're my generation so like the music yeah. there's a you know it's all jazz and hip-hop which really like you know really connects with me or i really connect with so yeah i felt like it was right right down my alley i agree i thought um her character her i mean it's partly autobiographical i just thought mm-hmm. it was so relatable um in terms of narrating the story she's going through at the age that she's going um through at um thinking thinking through and hearing some of her internal dialogue with herself um and like seeing or hearing that and like oh yeah i think so i think those things too but then also um her uh relationship with her students (laughs) relatable in terms of well you want to be the cool teacher but you know you're just (laughs) (laughs) lots of um lots of different aspects of her life were uh, just really really relatable i also thought um one of the things that um i really enjoyed seeing um was kind of her as a person as a woman as a black woman as a a fat black woman right being the star having a love interest going Mm -hmm. ups and downs um i thought that was really um really well done and like yeah. everybody's in love with her in the, like she she she's having trouble sort of like she she perceives herself to be having trouble finding someone but there are all these people that really are in love with her in the movie including her students cool. right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and i love the students i feel like they're like i don't know just like what i find so appealing by young people right that they're mm-hmm. like feisty and funny and insecure <laughs> mm-hmm. like, right and i just loved like all of them like i think that i really sort of well, and even that. even the problem, you know, the the kind problem of like tension, yeah, yeah. Um, among the students, wasn't like something really horribly like right. drugs or you know abuse in the household or something like That's that. True. It was just like this sort of thing that you can fix by just being perceptive and saying the right things to someone and sort of putting them on the right path, which is probably like what most of us deal with as teachers is you know not having to. Um, confront her or solve these really really you know horrible problems right. that teachers are always doing in the movies and stuff like that it's really like just all like the, like urban teacher movies yeah yeah, yeah yeah like dangerous <laughs> minds or something Which like she that. like actually she, she brings yeah, it they up call, so, yeah. yeah they call dangerous minds <laughs> stand yes. by me and all that kind of stuff you know but also um, like their ridiculous play that they're like putting on but she like encourages them but, anyway but she lets them do it right like the that's spermazoid <laughs> You would definitely get fired from school if you were doing something. <laughs> I was trying to think, like, was it like an after school? Like, it wasn't quite clear to me whether it was just a class or it was like an after school thing because it was. I think it was like after school drama club yeah, thing or maybe. something. Yeah, that's. But she was constantly getting there late. So yeah, I loved how human she was. Um, yeah. Both how she tried really hard to get there on time for the kids, but also clearly always um, didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the other things I really love about, about her as a character is this friendship with Archie. Yes. Um, and we learn kind of as we go uh, that they, you know, they went to prom together, that they've known each other like, you know, 20 some years. 
Um, So that they know each other's foibles and they really deeply care for each other, but also kind of can't stand each other sometimes. (laughs) And that's also feels really real. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the like resolution at the end with the both the friendship and basically being like, hey, we just need to be friends. Mm -hmm. Like we can't have this professional relationship that's like getting in the way of our friendship and we're going to like prioritize the friendship. And I thought that was like really literally lovely yeah yeah. no I loved Archie too and I love that it was like I was actually thinking about like there's like at least three Asian American characters right and they're just like in there right I mean there's Archie and then there's like that convenience store guy right who like pops up in those little like videos Mm -hmm. um who clearly like has a crush on her which is like super cute Uh, but also there was like the MC at the night where she goes to like totally bomb the the so I was like you know I just love the like random diversity of the movie which to me is like New York right there's like people of all kinds and there's just Mm -hmm. like you know just people of all kinds and so um, so so speaking of that though right like one of the really interesting things I think the film does is it's in black and white And then, you know, Crystal, you mentioned like we get this sense of Rada's interiority. And like one of the ways they do that is um, both by the way we see her encountering other people, right? Which is Mm -hmm. sometimes in these little boxes, right? So it's like, it's a film in her head. Mm -hmm. It's not clear whether it's happening in the moment or if this is like her memory reel, like kind of going through Mm -hmm. what she's heard from people before and she's just replaying it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she also has these moments like where she's writing the play which are hilarious, which are in full color. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's so I, true. I, and I love that, right? That her, yeah. the life in the moment is in black and white, but like her imagination, full color. Yeah. And I'm curious oh, about yeah. like what you guys think, you know, that's doing. Well, my, I thought, you know, my initial sense was, and I know that she's worked with, I think she worked on um, the TV show. She's, she's got to have, have it. You know, so yeah. she's worked with Spike Lee. And it's very much like she's she's sort of um, I don't know if I'd say borrowing or influenced by Spike Lee's um, mm-hmm. aesthetic and um, a lot of the things that he does in film. And he does stuff like that a lot, you know, like um, sort of calling attention visually to um, somebody's imagination or somebody is thinking something in their head or something like that, you know. And I, I it really reminded me a lot of his work. I mean, this movie reminded me a lot in a lot of ways. Um, of she's got to have it the movie except for you know like the really <laughs> the objectionable stuff um but mm. the the aesthetic of it i think mm. reminded me of she's got to have it a lot and i wonder if you know it's kind of i don't know if it's sort of a, di- a direct response to a movie like that interesting no i was gonna say i have no evidence for that I, that's just a, a thought yeah to me i was like it kind of made it seem a little bit timeless right that it's like these like Right, it's kind of about a struggle of like an artist and like kind of thinking about being like a minoritized artist and right, like one of the things. And in some ways, like, but some ways it made it like seem timeless. But that is kind of an interesting point about um, when she's like imagining those play scenes that they are in color. So, like, Mm -hmm. that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I had something else to say about the black and white and I just forgot. So, oh well. I was going to say with the black and white, um, I thought I wouldn't like the film because it was in black and white because I'm just so used to, of course, you know, seeing film in color Um, or not that I wouldn't like it, but I thought that it would be distracting, Mm -hmm. um, that I wouldn't be able to concentrate on the film. But I mean, Mm -hmm. that actually did not happen at all. Um, But I hadn't thought about I noticed that the the. the when the play was being when she was writing a play that that was in color but I couldn't I didn't quite think about um well why did she choose that except to kind of um 
think about what you said, Adriana, about her imagination being so vivid. Like that really, that really mm -hmm. strikes a chord there. So I have to think about that in terms of. Oh, right. And my thought wasn't about the black and white, but I was thinking about the like video bits as almost like a Greek chorus, like, right? So they're mm -hmm. kind of coming oh, yes, in and like, absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know much about that. So one of you literary people maybe can say more about like the function that usually that plays. Well, I mean, so the Greek chorus, I mean, Todd probably has a better grasp on it than I do. Like I haven't taught Greek tragedy and I've never taught tragedy when I'm talking about, <laughs> but, um, but I have read Greek tragedy and right. The chorus comes in to kind of stand for, um, uh, you know, this kind of communal voice that is usually kind of moralistic um, mm -hmm. and provides kind of inputs for um, what the characters should do. Um, and okay. so what's really fascinating is like, I mean, you're right. Like that's, I mean, I love the way you got at that, Anita, because at the beginning I was thinking about like all these separate voices and, and it's kind of like this um, mirror for her as she's thinking about age, right? It starts out mm -hmm. as a movie where she's just, she looks at her, the award that she won for the 30 right. under 30. Um, right. And she's just realizing she's about to hit 40 and she's got 10 years where she feels like she hasn't accomplished anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say too, that I just think that um, uh, once again, I don't want to like, I'm try not trying to take any credit away from out of blank, but I think, you know, Spike Lee did this too, where the, the neighborhood is a character or a group right. of people in the neighborhood are like a character. And that connects to, you know, what you're talking about the Greek course. In fact, in like, in Chirac, there literally is a Greek chorus in the, right. in the movie, right? Yeah. So um, I, I think she's sort of like doing something like that, right? And the, the, those characters, sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. They're always hilarious. They're right. always funny, right? And, yeah, I was like, what was that line that what the woman who's speaking in Spanish says about turning 40 is like the fruit, like dropping on the floor on and getting squashed <laughs> or something? But I think that's like interesting, right? So she both like does it, but there is that funny moment where obviously she's like putting that into the play, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the you know, Whitman's like, oh, I'm so glad you added this like sassy black woman voice, right? So there's like also the critique of that sort yeah. of use of the Greek chorus in there. So I love the sort of meta sort of critiques at like so many levels, right? That kind of comes up in the movie. So I thought that was like really interesting. Well, yeah. well maybe like when you when you get those, those little vignettes um, with the people from the neighborhood, you actually get to hear, hear what people really think about her or what people really think about the questions that she's asking. Right. You know, so it's like a man on the street kind of thing. Right. Um, but in the play it's contrived, right? I mean, it's, it's right. not real and it's, it's the kind of, she's creating the kind of dialogue and reaction and everything that a certain group of people want to see and not. So, I mean, really what we see from the people on the street is actually more real, right? I mean, it's a more, and, and though it's objectionable sometimes what they say, it's more genuine, I guess, is sort of if you were to compare those two, right? Maybe, but I guess the, I, I feel like she's also asking us to like think about the constructed nature of her movie as well, right? Absolutely. Kind of this, yeah. like particular things that she's putting in there because like maybe we expect it because we think she's right. like worked on Spike Lee's movie or whatever it is, right? So I think it's- Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think- yeah, it, it definitely does that. There's no question that you, you would, you might think um, the movie is like the realistic, I, people often think this way, right? Like that a movie is sort of realism and a play feels more sort of um, hmm. artifice, right? Because you go to this place and you see the, like it's much more um, interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. you know, noticeable that it is. And with a film, you're supposed to like, just um, it's it. all supposed to, yeah, melt away and you feel like you're hmm. in it. 
but she keeps and, showing us we're we're in it. It's not. Awesome. Right, exactly. And I think that's, you know, I think Anita's point is really important. I don't think the Greek course is any more real than the play, right? And I, I want to hold a space for thinking about that Greek chorus as not, not the actual encounters she's having with people, mm-hmm. right? But as a kind of, these are scenes that she's putting together. It's very much filtered um, in her head, um, it, it, which doesn't, I don't think it doesn't take away from like the way they represent kind of societal understandings of women aging, of, of like, what, what does artistry mean? Um, you know, how do we do the work that we do? But, um, but don't you it still th- seems just as mediated as the play. But don't you think that um, when we see the, the little, you know, clips from her imagination where she's thinking about scenes from the play, that the, I mean, the whole critique of the play is that the play is not real. Like the play is not genuine. The play is, is bullshit, right? The play mm-hmm. is, is her trying to create something that Jay Whitney thinks is real. And what Jay Whitney and the white audience, I mean, there's this whole thing with those two white ladies, you know? We're like, there's going to be an integrated uh, production of Fences. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, they're just hysterical, right? And I don't know about you guys, but I've often thought this myself, like when you're, uh, like even like when I go to see a play at, at Penumbra, there's lots of you know, sort of older white folks there and you're sort of like, yeah, mostly. Yeah, I wonder what they think, you know, like yeah. we come to the, this theater for every production and like, what do they really think? You know? And if you were in the bathroom in a stall, like she is, you heard them talking, <laughs> you would hear what they really think, you know? Um, but th- I'm getting far. No, I mean, away. I think it's the point is, I mean, cause we were, we wanted to talk about this notion of like selling out, but I think it's like a complicated question, right? So we're yeah. like watching this movie and there's like so much appealing about it, but does it also, is it also appealing because it also fits some like, not stereotype, but like some narrative that we find appealing in this particular way about, like, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I know sense? exactly what you mean. But here's the thing. Here's one thing that I can say to that. When I fir- the first time I saw it, um, I thought I was so happy that there was not really a scene where she had made it as a rapper, right? Like, I think that's yeah. sort of the conventional, you know, like eight mile or something like that, that you <laughs> might expect. Ooh, that. throwback. <laughs> where, you know where like she has this she's she's failing yeah. one thing hustle and flow hustle yeah hustle oh flow. yes hustle yes all yeah. right but she's she thinks she's failed at this one thing she starts this new right. thing and she becomes great at that and then she triumphs at that but she doesn't really triumph True. as a, we stop before we get to the point is not to triumph as a as a rapper but to like be satisfied with yourself and to be true to yourself, no matter what happens, like yeah. her mom, right? I mean, I think when her, when she's having her, that conversation with her brother, and she basically says, like, "Mom, you know, she came to the city to be an artist, and for what?" And and he was like, mm-hmm. "Well, because she had us, and she had a life, and you know, right. she she enjoyed this, right? Like that was enough, you know, for her. But maybe the the way that she's judging her own life is too harsh on herself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to to kind of build on that, um especially with her mom, when her, when the, uh, her brother says, you know, well, we were mom's greatest masterpieces. And that just makes me think that sometimes your greatest masterpieces are personal masterpieces. It's not mm-hmm. that, you're, um, you know, kind of this famous person that everyone knows your name, but, you know, the thing that matters most is, you know, you being true to yourself, right. you 
deciding, you know, you're going to take a risk on something because that's truly where your heart is. And no one may ever know about that. And that's right. your like, like compared to of the moments, where, which I think are so incredibly powerful in when she's, um, you know, like uh, actually putting together lines and um, and rapping. And one is this intense, intimate moment um, with D, where he starts out with that that beat about um, Mama about may I. Mama, Mama may I. yeah, Mama May I. Um, and oh my god! And then they, they both go for it, yeah. right? And, and like it's yeah. just intimate and deep and like yeah. so powerful. And then of course there's like the final kind of like you know I mean in some ways it's the climax of the movie where she's on the stage and they've like invited her there and they're like oh this was an amazing play and you know at first she's starting to thank them but then right. she just drops into a you know but this play is shit. <laughs> um, but that's not the last word, right? Oh sorry, go ahead. She drops into her robot Rodimus Prime. Yes. 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 What a great name. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's a good maybe lead way because one of the obviously like the big things that the movie's critiquing and she's critiquing again is this notion of poverty porn. And it, and obviously like this is discussions we've had in other books. So like Dennis Smith's poem, Dinosaurs in the Hood. And I'm going to just read a couple of lines from there because I think it totally gets at that, right? So these are the lines. This movie can't be about black pain or cause black pain. This movie can't be about a long history of having a long history with hurt. And of course, the other person that sort of we've talked about is Charlotte in the white card. And she talks about how, um, and this is like in a conversation she's having with Charles. And she says, I don't mean to suggest that you shouldn't celebrate the work of black artists. It's the emphasis on black death that I need to question for myself. What does it mean to portray black suffering as art? Um, and Crystal, I know you've talked about this notion of like struggle fiction, right? So, so, I, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about like what the movie is saying about that and obviously um, right, like this movie is like a response to that in so many ways, right? Kind of the, what do we sort of expect from black art and sort of this notion of like, you know, every black movie is like either a biopic or about slavery, right? So kind of think, or at least the ones that are commercially successful and maybe that's also something we could talk about, right? Like it's sort of not that there isn't sort of a variety of like black art that exists, but the ones that kind of make it into the mainstream and the ones that like older white folks go see, right? Or becomes commercially successful, are these like very much more narrow um, forms or narrow subjects. Right, and, and I, I mean, just some immediate thoughts that come to mind, question and then a thought, you know, who is the, the struggle fiction for? Who is the struggle art for? Um, and what um, what is its purpose? Like what response is it trying to create? Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I think, you know, <clears throat> on the one hand it's, to move white people, right? But to move white people to do what is the is the ultimate, um, the ultimate in question. But then I'm also reminded of, uh, especially during the Harlem Renaissance, where you know black uh, writers and authors had these white patrons who then kind of directed mm -hmm. and dictated um, work and the problematic nature of that. You know, mm -hmm. wanting to and we see that happening in this in this film, right? right. Wanting to. Um, have the resources to do your creative endeavors, but also understanding that, you know, white supremacy and structural racism do not allow you to to just go out and be an artist, right? You have to be doing something on the side. Um, and for you to have that financial freedom that would allow you to be creative, you have to sometimes bargain with the devil. But then what happens to your artwork when you do that, you know? And I think, you know, really asked us to, um, it shows us, you know, an artist who is trying to, you know, navigate through those murky waters um, in some senses. What's really fascinating though, now that you say that, um, 
it, Crystal, is that I, I don't think, sorry, I'm thinking through it in my head, like, um, it, it doesn't seem like Rada gives us a narrative where it's about economic need that's the, the most pressing, even though it's clear that like, you know, like, I mean, Archie is there as a comparison. Like how much does he pay for that apartment? It was something like so- um, $5,000. Like it was so much that I couldn't even comprehend yeah. it, right? I was just like, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, she doesn't talk about, like, it's funny. She never has a line where she's like, I need this, you know, to get paid. Yeah. But um, she does, though. Yeah, she does. When she goes to with that Umoja director, she talks- right? She's like, why, maybe we can call ancestors because my ancestors want my rent to get paid. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point, though. But because she doesn't use that with the white director, right? Or right. in talking with Archie, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's, so the that's, the a con- con- it's that's a con- yeah. the, the sort of contrast that you get, right? So yeah. I don't think... I mean, Forrest, the dir- the director of the Ujama <laughs> Umoja. This is Derek. Umoja. 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 Capital Y O U. Capital Y O U. Oh, I didn't. I didn't even see that. <laughs> it is, no, no, it's but you in like how it's written. But wait, I had the subtitles on the way they're saying it. It's like Y O U capitalized and like Mojo. Oh, okay. <laughs> so. It's very. It's he. He's hysterical, and I love it. And I love how he. You know. Anyway, but there's the, this um, contrast between a theater, which I think that she respects him right like it's not yeah. like she thinks that the yeah. art that is put on at that theater is bad it's just that that theater doesn't have any money because it's <laughs> right. doing art that doesn't appeal to a popular audience right whereas jay selby has money because the old jay, white jay whitman but I, you're just calling him random things I jay love whitman, sorry. Jay whitman. <laughs> what did i call him before jay, jay something else jay selby he's like jay whitney you're like jay whitney <laughs> jay selby <laughs> I love it. But guys, my my brain doesn't work so well. I think uh, we should do that. We should just go from name to name. Although now just saying, I'm realizing Whitman, white man, duh, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And what was it? Uh, Lipschitz or whatever the name Lipsch- was? Yeah, that was the director of the- yeah, Julie, <laughs> Julie. Julie Lipschitz. <laughs> and one time, one time she corrected someone, right? Like someone said Lipschitz and she was like, sits, it's sits. <laughs> <laughs> But sorry, I think going back like, to economical, yeah. So I mean, I I do think there, it was about right? economical survival, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair, 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 fair. No, you guys are right. Um, here's that's the- right. <laughs> Don't forget about. Jay we Thomas. need our rent paid. <laughs> okay, here's the other thing though. I thought that was interesting about this tension, right? With um, with Jay Whitman, I have to look down at the paper because I'm worried about saying Jay. So <laughs> just call him the white man. We'll just call him the white man. JJ, Dynamite. <laughs> Is one of these pivotal moments, there were like a couple of pivotal moments I thought to me. And one was when, um, you know, she's telling him about the play and she's like, you know, it's this black store owner and his mm-hmm. wife and, you know, like gentrification. He's like, is that it? <laughs> yeah. And and then he's like, you have to, gen- you have to personify gentrification. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> The fir- that the makes first so much time sense, he- though. Yeah. That makes so much yeah. sense, right? Because like we understand racism as like personal, individual acts of racism, rather than like right. actually gentrification being about structures and history True. and law. I had one other example, just saying, just you know, of things that I think are interesting to speak about with this. The other point that I think is really mm-hmm. fascinating is when they're in that like uh, dress rehearsal, not dress rehearsal. It's like a, a work through workshop. Yeah. workshop, workshop, yeah. Um, and um, the woman who's playing the wife 
is being asked to like use that Speak, ridiculous yeah. accent. And she she asked the director and the, you know, why am I speaking like this? And the director's like, well, you know, you have to understand soy milk's not just soy milk. But then then she's like, no, I'm I'm asking about the accent. You know, no yeah, one else the dialect has accent, whatever. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and she looks at Radha, right? Everybody looks to Radha for an answer. And Radha's like, oh. What does she say? She's like, why don't you keep going? So maybe I'll figure out why, why yeah. I have you speaking this yeah. way. I, yeah, I know why, why we're doing it, but yeah, speak a little bit more and I'll figure and it she, out. She's really doing it to satisfy right. Jay, Jay Stereotypes, Whitney, yeah, Jay, Jay, Jay Whitney, Selby. Jay Selby. So I guess but, I'm like, Because the first these- time, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'm interested in these two different kind of ways of, of satisfying the white gaze, right? Okay. They seem to me like they're, they're colluding, of course, but they're slightly different levels or degrees. Can you, is it, so what are the two? Is it like yeah, including white people as well? Yeah, one is like including white people and personifying, Anita, you were right, right? Like personifying structural racism, structural forces through, through bodies, Right. Um, which of course makes them, you know, you can have that satisfying end then because it's a person. You're my sister. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. And that's the other is kind of transforming the black characters in um, ways that seem small, but actually have this, I would say a huge effect mm-hmm. on how they're able to be read and contended with. Well, they have to, con- they have to conform to white notions of black authenticity. You know, because when when Jay Whitman first <laughs> says when he first talks to her about the play, he says, like, well, it doesn't smack authentic to me. Right. He's like, I, when I first read it, I thought, did a black person even write this? Right. right? That's when she chokes like, him oh! out. Right? <laughs> well, know, she does choke oh! him out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She chokes him. That's right. That, I mean, there's no I mean, no yeah. worse thing that a, a, a person could say to a black artist like because it, right. again it sort of like um limits the amount of ways that black people can be expressive mm-hmm. and creative and everything that we do has to be um you know authentically black for somebody to, to, to judge yeah. right yeah and, and sometimes sometimes black people judge each other for authenticity um but i can deal with that more than i can deal with what some white person telling me mm-hmm. you know yeah. Like, it, you know, that you're, you're not, or somebody, some, I mean, when you, like, when I grew up, like people saying like, um, you were, well, you're the whitest person I ever met, you know? And I'll be like, mm, From white people I, would say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From white people be like, what would you know about it? You know, <laughs> like, how many, how many black people have you even met right. in your life? Like, what would mm. you know about it? What is your, what is your criteria of judgment? You know? Yeah. And, um, so I think, yeah, that's that's another thing about this movie that I, I really love is that she's like, a, she's this great combination of different ways of being Black and they're all authentically Black, right? I mean, she wants to be a rapper and she can go to, you know, the 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 the, the apartment, you know, recording studio, kind of like, <laughs> sort of like trap, but not really, but, you know, like... And just but also she's up. like of course i know this place like i grew up here right she's all like right, well, I mean, <laughs> she she thinks that they judge her but they but d doesn't they judge don't. Her. i mean yeah d yeah. is like the most beautiful character he's yes. such, a, such a great character right yeah yes. he's so good because he sees like her authenticity he sees her talent he sees who she is you know and he's like cool with it you know yeah and he just like i just love his character but he is that kind of accepting that we that black artists must wish that the world would be for them 
And I feel like doesn't she end up saying with that the dialect that she's like she's like from south, right? Like I was like, isn't that like the explanation yeah. she like is trying to get at? She's like, I yeah. don't know. I think she moved there from the south, which is also <laughs> I feel like the other yeah. like ex- expectation of like that like black folks are all from the south, right? As mm-hmm. if there were no like black folks like not yeah. in the south, and so I think that's like yeah. yeah. Crystal, did you want to say something? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she is implying. Um, that you know the the character has this like this southern um, imaginary. I think that's exactly what she says, like some something southern imaginary, um, but implying that she's an older southern woman. And then the, the actress goes back and says, "Well, oh, I'm 35, right?" <laughs> nah, you know that 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 explanation. This is not- she's she's an old soul or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's not that's not quite gun. That's not quite a sufficient enough kind of um, explanation for why you have me speaking like this. Um, as if, you know, Black folks haven't been for generations in New York. Right, right, right. like in Harlem. And yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, now to to your second point, it's also like when we talked about the the kids in the play, right? Sort of like rapping and like sort of the, uh, just like what happens, in, right? Because doesn't he say at some point, like you need to have these teenagers yes. rapping? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. then we get it. Yeah, to Harlem Avenue. Um, I mean, Harlem Ave, Harlem Ave. Yes, Harlem Ave. Sorry. I don't. I don't want to be like. uh, Oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start to say something that I won't be able to. But isn't it like that play? um, Oh, oh, you're going there. Yeah, you know where I'm going. (laughs) I can't remember the name of the play because my brain just shut down. What Um, is it about? The most famous play of the last five years. Hamilton. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Isn't it it's Hamilton? It's a musical. Isn't that a musical? I know it's a musical, but I mean like, oh, Hamilton is the musical about how, you know, the most authentic musical about hip hop, like mm. pop on Broadway. Like, come on, man. Like, I do. I, I actually agree with you. I think that um, there's a little bit of a like tweak there mm-hmm. on Hamilton um, not so much like critiquing Hamilton, but but kind of critiquing the way the audiences um, see Hamilton right. and see hip hop. Um, right. Yeah. Like the 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 audience at a Hamilton show, like the early ones, sort of acted like they were at the Queen of the Ring show in the Bronx. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, like they yes. were like, "Oh my God, this we is just so authentic." Yes. Yeah, <laughs> It's so that's gritty. A great, that's a great point. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> it's so gritty. <laughs> here we, here we I, are on I'll Broadway. I'll take another white wine, please. <laughs> that's a great point. Yes, yes. So I think, yeah, I think there's a kind of like a little poking yeah. at that. I mean, at one point, there is a D sort of joke about how, like, of course, he knows about plays because he's see, everybody's seen Hamilton. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's right there. I want to talk more about D and about his beats and about what an endearing character he is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think like at the beginning, we see him very much through Rada's eyes. Right. And she's kind of suspicious. She doesn't know what this is all about. She's like, here's this young thing who's yeah. just, you know, like clearly all he can do is beats. Um <laughs> And then, and then she starts to discover more about him, like the Mennonite chanting, using that for being, <laughs> so, um, and that he's just such a like um, sweet, thoughtful person. Yeah. Um, and their sex scene, can I just say, was 
very, very steamy. Woo. Anita, Anita's like, I don't know about that, but we, we often <laughs> don't talk about sex scenes in the things that we talk about, but I'm here to say we need to talk about the sex scene because it was very sexy. It do was very sexy. Here's my thing. Sex scenes in books that were well. We did talk about it in the Carmen Marie Machado thing, which was all oh. was very oh, yeah. sexy, or and we like totally the, avoided it. We yeah, avoided yeah, all the remember sex. the title of that episode was the spoilers sidestep the sexy <laughs> exactly. stuff. Yeah. You know, like the second time I was watching this, and I don't know, maybe this is my own thing because I feel like I've been like trying to think through my own body issues. Like I both loved that, like D was this like younger, sweet, lovely dude who like right like sort of affirms her and all of that but I also feel like is that the only way that like we who like those of us who don't like fit into this like body ideal of like white skinny people like get affirmed right like does it have to be about like a partner does it have to be about mm. like a younger hotter cooler partner right who like affirms this like body See, for you here you are going off into this like cultural theory and all I want to talk about <laughs> is the sexiness like, like let's not talk about the sex <laughs> <laughs> like the way the way she's like are you beatboxing down there and I'm like oh. <laughs> okay that was hot uh- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Crystal, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to take us back to Funyuns. Um, <laughs> yes, the Funyuns. It, and yes. I was going to take us back there because, like you said, Adriana, when we first um, are encountering D, we're encountering him through what Rada thinks she thinks he's thinking, right? Because we don't actually get a lot of his voice, right? It's, it's, it's her um, actually, like, just talking on and on and on, and he's mostly just like... <laughs> yes so we kind of don't know like is he interested is he not is he can is he listening is he listening right does he talk right <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so when she kind of accuses him of letting her leave at two right. in the morning and not caring that she's a woman going out on the street by herself right. and then he responds by saying oh like her whole agenda like yeah. her whole trajectory you're like oh this man is observant this man was yeah. watching he bought onions right and and (laughs) we see how the movie um we see how the movie ends kind of with buying her funions again i think um i think that's really that's really sweet but the sex scene is really hot too so (laughs) (laughs) so fine uh but you don't want to go back to that you don't want to go back (laughs) no maybe let's move on to (laughs) i didn't say i want to let you talk about like Think about ageism, right? Because I think that's also, because it's actually, I mean, she's 40. I mean, maybe I'm saying this because I'm 42. Like, it's not that old. (laughs) It isn't. Right? So I think it's also like. I'm standing, it's not that old. Yeah. So I also feel like it's like this. And I think the older woman who's one of the Greek chorus, like, makes a point about that, right? She's like, come talk to me when you're 70. Right. Yes. (laughs) But I mean, clearly, though, like, it is an issue in the industry and it is an issue for her, right? Like, this notion of like, even just these lists of like, why do we have like 30 under 30? Like, why are we sort of celebrating this notion of like somehow like greatness and like achievement has to be like at a particular age or like, right? Like, does that make sense? Like, so I just feel like it's like setting, her, it's like that award was like setting her up for this like crisis, right? Cause it's only like, cause otherwise I'm like, she still has so much time to like be amazing and be a rapper or be whatever she wants. And I think, but, but I, oh, I, I, I do think like the midlife crisis is a thing because it, because it's an actual thing, right? Not just because like it's an industry thing, right? For, for movie, uh, for filmmakers. Um, but that there is something very real 
um, that a lot of us deal with when we get to that point in our lives where, you know, you kind of look back and you're like, okay, is that what I wanted to have done? Can I change course now? I mean, Crystal, you changed course like hugely in this really brave way, um, moving away from academia, which I think was so awesome. Um, but I know like I have had those moments, right? Of like, okay, like, like to, to move towards something new, it, is, it's, it takes vulnerability and bravery. And um, I think it's kind of hard. But I think the other part of this that I see here as, the, as a kind of container for what you're talking about, Anita, this sort of like, you know, recognizing age and, and feeling undone by being is like her mom died a year ago. And so I think that's like a huge, um, uh, you know, like I think the listeners of the podcast know that my mom died about a year ago. So like this movie hit, like in, in some ways, like, like it felt like a little bit of a pin. I was like, Oh yeah, your mom also died about a year ago. Kaboom. Um, but so I felt like watching Rada, you know, shape the film through that lens, right. Through that, like, going back to, to her mother's death. And it becomes a thing, right? Where we see that she hasn't been to her mom's apartment. She's not responding to her brother's calls. Um, your parents die and there's a, there's a real thing of like recognizing mortality that I think seeing other people die in your life, it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. So mortality, recognizing that the years you have, you better spend them well. I get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, there's this sense, and I don't want to uh, take it too theoretical because I was just reading Charles Mills' article about white time and how mm-hmm. uh, kind of there's there are these racialized notions of time, which kind of mm-hmm. builds George Lipset's idea about kind of racialized notions of space, right? And yes. So white temporal imaginations. And so mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking about um, racialized and gender time where your time mm-hmm. does not belong to you. Right. And so what 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 do you what can you do to resist um, the fact that you don't really own your time? And so in thinking about, you know, this movie, it's like, OK, well, our time has been prescribed. We're, we're so we're supposed to do certain things by certain moments in our lives. Mm-hmm. Like what happens when that doesn't happen? What happens right. when, you know, we realize we want to, like you said, Adriana, shift focus. That's going to take more time. Do we have time? Who who is that time coming from, right? So mm-hmm. all of the questions about time and um, how do we own our own time, especially in a white supremacist capitalist framework, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do we actually have time to, mm-hmm. to change our minds, right? Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it can feel like we do not, based on who we are, based on our, you know, our mm-hmm. backgrounds. Um, we just don't have the time. Like our time has been both stolen from stolen from us and then also transferred to white people right so Mm -hmm. how do we you know how do we exist or exist in in that whole framework Mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant crystal I think that's really helpful yeah that's powerful I don't know Todd do you want to say anything about age (laughs) why why are you asking me Never mind. Moving on. (laughs) uh, I I don't. I can't really say anything that Crystal didn't just say. You know, that was really cool. Yeah, I didn't think about it. I think if if I think of well, I will say something. I'll add just a little bit, which is when you think about when you're young, you don't think about time as much as you do the the closer you get to the end I suppose you might say you know and (laughs) yeah and and so the older you get the more it feels like you don't have enough time to do what you want to do and and 
And I think, you know, like she was saying, there's a moment when you might have something that you want to do. And it just seems like, well, I, I can't even try to do that because I only have 10 years left or, and, and also, you know, the ways that our identities shape the way that we think about how much time we even have. Right. Like you're saying, right. Like, Mm-hmm. I, we make decisions in our lives based upon, you yeah. know, how long we've seen our relatives living, yeah. how long mm-hmm. we've seen people in our neighborhoods living, yeah. you know, yes. things like that when their lives turn more yeah. difficult uh, around health and aging and right. that sort of thing. So I, I really think what you, what you said is right on point. And I'm, you know, I think we all experience, I'm definitely experiencing it. Somebody said to me, why don't you go start a new career tomorrow? Even if, even if someone came up and said, Hey, I will make it so you can go do this new thing. I'd be like, ah, Oh, yeah. I got like this many years left of this. And I know I what I'm doing. So maybe I just stay doing this. Right. And in that some people would say, well, that's because you're afraid. And I would say maybe, but maybe it's fear based upon evidence. Like there's some, right. there's some evidence. Like it's rational. It's rational. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about and- age, but it's also about legacy. Mm. Right. Yeah. This um, desire to leave something behind. And Rada has that shift in, throughout the film, right? right? Where at first she thinks it has to be something that's legible. Right. Um, and I think this is where, Anita, going back to your point about like the, the, the award, like she thinks that that legacy has to be legible to a public, but in particular, I would argue to a kind of a white public, right? A mainstream public. And um, as we go through, like she's shifting, like what that legacy can be and who it needs to be legible to. Don't so that think- the students become super. Yes. Right, right. Yes. That's what yes. I was going to say. Yes. I was going to say it's relationships, right? Yeah. Because in the end, what we see that she has that's valuable is her relationships yeah. with other people. Right. And it's D and it's the students and it's her brother. And yeah. it's uh, what's her agent's name? Whatever. Archie. Archie. It's Archie, right? Or like, even to like Lamont, forget right? <laughs> did, did I not mention you did, my brain you did. problems? My brain problems. <laughs> but I feel like even to like this relationship that she like. I mean, I thought that's like scene when she goes out and gives him the sandwich, and he's like, "I know you just want." I feel like there's so many things she's like oh, yeah. poking at, right? She's yeah. like, "I know you think I'm gonna be this like what is the the magical Negro like giving oh, you?" Yeah, like, yeah. So, <laughs> and I love that that was like you know. But yeah, like I think no, that's a really which makes me think that you know sort of this point that she leaves the film at a point where like it's not clear what success will look like for her, other than like mm-hmm. her relationships actually even a braver choice, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. It's like, I think that's, yeah, like, because I think you were saying that, Todd, right? Like that, the fact that it's like, she doesn't achieve this. We don't know, right? Maybe, I mean, obviously, yeah. she, obviously rather blank, the like human person does, right? Because yeah. like she said, <laughs> she has this movie and it's amazing. And it's like, right, it's gotten like tons of awards, but like the character, right? Because it's left at this point where it's like, we're not, we're not sure what she's going to necessarily do next, right? Other than like yeah. eat Funyuns with D and talk about right different cool beats and so yeah absolutely and i think that's that's part of the appeal of the movie and what makes it so yeah. great if, if she if she went to the showcase and killed at the showcase right. and the movie was over there you would have been like <laughs> okay where could you go the eight mile version of it <laughs> yeah yeah like, where would you even go from there yeah. right so yeah yeah. Um, I think, you know, the, this movie leaves her with possibility yeah. and it, it, it more connects with regular people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. a big appeal of the film. And speaking of appeal, maybe it's the last thing we can end on. Of course, the yeah. other big appeal of the movie for me that it's set in New York, 
and it made me miss New York so much. <laughs> like, I'm like, it makes me miss even the like crowded subways where I have to like, you know, use my elbow to like get some moving space. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> but I love that there's like all this fun stuff in there. Like when she, you know, when Dee's like driving her into the Bronx, she's like, oh my God, this is going to be, more. you know, it's like, like the stereotype that like those of us who don't live in the Bronx and right in New York, like have about the Bronx, but also, right. Like I mentioned, when we were talking earlier. It's like the birth of hip hop in New York is in the Bronx. It makes so much sense that the queen of the rings is there, but also, right. Like she obviously grew up in Brooklyn and then like moved to like, I guess she lives um, sort of in Manhattan, like somewhere. Right. Um, so it's like, I thought that was also funny. She's like trying to like, be like, I'm authentic. I grew up here. Like this, you know, like I knew this, but I also just feel like, um, just like the random scenes she has sometimes, right? When she's like walking around and you just see like people. Um, I just thought it was like this beautiful portrayal of New York. And I was like, yes, New York. This is why it's my favorite place in the world. So did, did yes, you so notice, shout out to New York. Did you notice that in a lot of those scenes, you know, like on the subway or walking down the street that people look at her and they smile, yeah. you know, like yeah. people are really kind and there's connection yeah. you know which i thought was i don't know if it's really like that in new york but i mean it just it, it i feel like, like people have this idea that somehow like we're all like hostile but i just feel like we all mind our own business i think that's about what it <laughs> that is, was my like, is like, people just got stuff to do you know yeah, it's like, <laughs> they ain't got time to stop and harass you They're exactly <laughs> it's just like you're just moving you know i just feel like that was like very real and the fact that i'm like you know when she's like in her fancy dress but she's like still on the subway getting mm-hmm. to like brooklyn i was like that's yeah. real like you see that all the time right like i would see people with like their big instruments like you know dressed up in i guess they were going to be in an orchestra or something like you just see all kinds of people on the subway and i think that was just like very true but it never was as crowded as i feel like sometimes it is but that was, um, I feel like she's on the subway and usually it's not that crowded. I'm like, that's maybe slightly unrealistic, but also they had to film a movie. So fair enough. <laughs> that's some place to put the camera. Exactly. Yeah. But also like that scene on the bus when she's like clearly wrong in how she's like. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't like, she say awesome. there were, but there were, but to, there were in like 20 place, invalids. 20 invalids on the bus. You're like, like oh, oh, that's wrong. Oh. <laughs> also like, that's what happens, right? Because you're running late and like literally there's like a bus stop at every like every street and you're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get to like where I need to get to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just, I just loved her portrayal of New York and it's so clear that she's like a New Yorker, right? Like from that mm-hmm. movie. And so, yeah, that New was, York. Uh, that was the one part of the film where she was on the bus at the beginning where I thought, oh, I'm going to like her. But then, <laughs> but then I, I liked her. By the- but I feel like she makes fun of that too, right? She's like, <laughs> and so... And, and it's like she wasn't perfect right and I think that was like kind of the point of like the whole thing so yes um all right so I, unless anybody has anything else to say I'm gonna say watch this movie if you haven't already watch it a few times and New York truly is like that it's magical um, <laughs> you can find it on Netflix it's right find there it on Netflix exactly all right so we're gonna do a round of what we're reading watching listening eating whatever uh so Crystal do you want to start us off Yep. So I think last time, no, this wasn't, this was in our just our pre-conversation. I was uh, thinking that maybe we should read some Edwidge Donsicott for, um, for the, for the pod. And so I um, had a copy of Breath, Eyes, Memory. So I just, I read that and I thought I hadn't read it before, but I I do, I remember reading it, Um, but it was really good to encounter it again to kind of think, um, think with the characters and, 
um, read about Haiti um, and, you know, a story of, of growing up and dealing with your family's past and relationships and also motherhood. So um, that's what I have been reading lately. Crystal, Todd? Um, I actually <clears throat> have just started to read the book that I think we're <laughs> going to be talking about on the next pod, which is Empire of Wild. And is it uh, Cherie Demoline? Is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm just a few pages into it. And I'm really excited um, because I love monsters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I'm really uh, looking forward to finding out what goes on in that book. So um, that's all I'm doing right now. Yeah, Todd, what's the wolf Thanks. called again? Do you remember? Uh, it's a, a Rugaloo. Rugal- no, hold on. <laughs> you sent it Rugaroo. to me. Rugaroo. Rugaroo. Yes. yes. Rugaroo. Thank you. Um, Adriana? I have, I have two books to tell you all about. Um, so a long time ago on the pod, I believe I said, I'm so excited. I bought N.K. Jemisin's um, The City We Became, and I love her work, Broken Earth, and I can't wait in, to read this book. And then it sat there on my piano for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I finally um, managed to finish it. It's so good. I don't think I like it as much as I loved the Broken Earth trilogy. But I think that's like a truly like it's just an incredible trilogy. The city we became um, is fun, though, like it has um, the whole conceit is that cities become alive. But in order to kind of complete the birthing process, they need their champions. And like, you know, a city usually has one champion. But New York, of course, has five plus the kind of central champion because of the boroughs. And, um, and so like, I actually feel like I learned a lot about the city, about New York City from the book. Um, and spoiler alert, Staten Island. Staten is Island. Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other book that I'm reading right now is Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven. Oh, that's it's, good. Yeah, I have. So I haven't gone, I'm like, I'm about halfway through. It is about um, a time in which there is a pandemic that, kills off 90% of the population. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like the aftermath. We got a good pandemic, I guess, compared to that one. That is what is making it possible for me to read it. Because I'm like, this would be a terrible thing to read early in the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. In March when we were all like, what is this? But now I'm like, okay, people that I wish had died have not died. I'm not going to name names. (laughs) I'm just gonna put it out there. So clearly, I can read this novel now. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, <laughs> I haven't been reading much recently, pre because I'm just like finishing up classes. But I, um, I'm gonna give a shout out to two Star Trek shows. So I've been rewatching. I started to rewatch Discovery, uh, the season first and the season first and second season, in order to watch the third season. But also, a friend and I have started watching Picard, and so I'm like. You know, and we watched it a couple of episodes this morning, virtually online, not together, not in our own houses. Uh, so yeah, so shout out to those Star Trek series on CBS. Um, and as Todd already mentioned, our next book is going to be Empire of Wild by Sherry Demeline. We're super excited uh, to read that and uh, talk about it. And as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, basically all the places where you can find podcasts. And please, please, please keep wearing those masks, washing those hands keeping those six feet away and staying home. All right. Thank you all for listening. Please stay and home. First, yeah. Please stay home. And we're sending you big virtual house. Wear masks. Wash your hands. Be careful. All right. Avoid bye, your y'all. family. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's a good excuse. It's a good excuse. <laughs> I'm all like, why is everybody so upset they go see their fans? They're like, going to be happier the <laughs> I'm sorry, mom. I didn't mean that. We love you, Todd's mom. <laughs> all right, bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. This has been another brand new episode of The Drip recorded remotely from St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Northfield, Minnesota, and Washington, D.C. The show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatur, Adriana Estel, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence, the All Spoilers Collective. We'll be back next month just before Christmas with a new episode on Empire of Wild by Cherie DeMoline. Until then, we hope everybody enjoys this holiday season and celebrates it in the spirit of welcoming togetherness, equality, and love. Peace. Just a piece of me, but, but you the white man.